0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the New Economy Network Australia NINA podcast. My name is Anna Garnock, and I'm grateful to interview folks involved with NINA, Australia's largest multi-sectoral network of innovators, changemakers, and advocates working for an ecologically sound and socially just economy. Today, we are interviewing Morag Gamble. Morag is a global leader of the permacultural movement for change, driving us to move beyond sustainability to regeneration. She's the founder and CEO of the Permaculture Education Institute with students on six continents and the executive director of Ethos Foundation, which has funded a women's help group in West Africa to run free permaculture education. She co-founded Northeast Street City Farm and the Australian City Farm and Community Garden Network. Warwick has long been involved with Nina and has collaborated at various events, which you'll soon find
1: out more about.
0: I'm really excited to chat with you, Maureen. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Hi, Anna. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: (laughs) No problem. I'm just going to start by asking a very simple and potentially obvious question. I know with permaculture, it's such a, a mixed bag of ethical principles and lifestyles and practical components mixed together with theoretical. What do you see and interpret permaculture to be?
1: Permaculture to me is essentially a way of being in the world, way of living, that really recognizes that we just have one planet and we need to take care of it. So for me it's about one planet living. What does that look like? How are we supposed to do it? How how can we live in a way that compresses our footprint so that we can live well but free up so much more of the space Uh, to be able to be rewilded and protected and and restored. So that in its essence is what it's about and the details of permaculture about what you do in in that space uh, and how to work towards regenerating uh, landscapes. But I think a key part for me that permaculture is about is about a way of thinking. It's about entering into different types of conversations and seeing ourselves in our communities in a different set of relationships and for me that's kind of the area that I like to focus on is how to have those kind of conversations and start to work and collaborate and create opportunities where people can get involved in it.
0: Can you tell me more about that involvement how did you come to work in the permaculture space and what has been your work so far?
1: Oh, gosh, I don't know where to begin with that question. <laughs> like, I think for my entire life I've been somewhat engaged in different ways. I grew up actually in suburban Melbourne, but my mum had this deep passion for rewilding this space. We were always planting native species, and one of my earliest book memories is looking through the local bird book and trying to spot what birds had been attracted into our backyard And then my dad was always talking about permaculture from, I think, since the first book came on, he told me about he'd heard some man on the radio and it sounded like just really great, good common sense. And I was Bill Mollison, I think, one of the founders of permaculture. So for me, it had always been there. And I I also remember being extremely conscious about waste and social justice. And I think as a teenager, I became a peace activist and then a forest activist and and after a while, I got to the point of feeling like, oh my gosh, we're just fighting and fighting, and it's nothing's changing. And I, I think, you know, like many people's stories, I got to the point of like, well, what, what am I doing? How can I be engaging differently? What is the best way that I can be in this world or be in service to help to to restore and bring the changes that we need? And and I, I ended up going to a place called Schumacher College in England, which. I'd heard there was this guy called Fritjof Capra teaching there, a systems thinker, and I'd been reading his books. I'd kind of retreated. I'd retreated to this little island in the middle of the lakes in Victoria and just was thinking about what it was in the world. I was about 19. What in the world am I supposed to be doing? And I was plowing through all these books. I'd read things like, you know, the Reenchantment of the world, the turning point, all this kind of content. And I would walk and I would think and I would talk to the koalas and, and just go out on a little boat and just in nature find what it was that I was meant to be doing. And, and all of a sudden I was reading this re-enchantment world and it was coming from a different paradigm. It was this ecological paradigm. And all of a sudden I I don't know, like the synopsis in my brain, whatever the word is, like just started to spark. I could actually literally see these sparks coming out and this fire started burning inside me. and I was lit up, I think. I was like this... Is that enlightenment? There was this light, lit feeling in me that I still feel now. That I just keep um, drawing on that energy. So I went and spent time with Fritjof at uh, this place in England, a Schumacher College, which is an ecological residential college, and. That has been sort of the founding point for everything that I've done since then. I, there, I met a, an amazing woman called Helena Norberg-Hodge. She came in and she was teaching, and she was talking about Ladakh. And so I went to volunteer with her in Ladakh, and uh, we explored, you know, things like localization. And I was working out with the women in the fields, and and I started having these moments of thinking, well, these people don't have they don't have money. They're considered to be the poorest of the poor from an economic conventional perspective. Yet here I am surrounded by richness of community, of joy, of beautiful mud brick multi-storey homes with amazing natural foods and natural fibres and intergenerational connectivity. And I started to really side-by-side our cultures and thinking, well, what is the kind of culture... What is the kind of way that we really need to be exploring in order to live well on this planet and to make sure that we take care? On return after quite a long journey, it was a bit of a pilgrimage to many different ecological projects and communities and mentors. I landed back in Australia and I came to this place here, Crystal Waters, where I live now, an eco-village, to learn about permaculture and what it meant to live a permaculture way of life. And um, that's what I've been doing ever since and, you know, trying to demonstrate and share and activate and and just open conversations around this because it's not like, okay, well, now I'm going to teach you how to do it. It's like, well, let's just explore what this means. How can we have this conversation? So it's really about creating spaces for us to explore together how we can make the change because it looks different wherever you are, every single place, every single community, every single street is going to look different. And so it's really about having that space to to do that kind of thing, which is what I've what I've sort of tasked my my world to be um, totally imbued in for, for as long as I can remember now.
0: Incredible. That's really beautiful uh, reflection going back from a young 19-year-old. Uh, exploring these really big questions, having a light bulb moment, and seeing where it's taken you, and it's really exciting that that energy still lives in you. I can really hear that passion, and it's taken to you all sorts of different places, um, including back here on home country. Just
1: to clarify, when you said Ladakh, is that northern India in the Himalayan country? Yeah, yeah, it's actually the very northern part of India, over the other side of the Himalayas in the Indus Valley, uh, are sometimes known as Little Tibet. Amazing.
0: Wow. I went there when I was 17. Oh, did you? Yeah. (laughs) So when you said that, I was like, oh, not many people know of of Ladakh. I'm incredibly envious (laughs) that you got to be there working, working community and building a rich world in a not economically rich world. That's a cool journey. Now transitioning into your current work, So can you tell me more about what you're currently working on and what your projects are? You founded a bunch of different networks and things. So what does your life look like?
1: Well, there's an ecology of projects that I'm involved in, ecology of organisations. And the core of that is the Permaculture Education Institute. And that is the place where we focus on supporting people to become Permaculture educators, but in the fullest sense of what that means, like what does it mean to step up and speak up, to be a leader in this space, to be a, a practivist, to to be an ambassador for a different way of seeing in your community, and how can we support each other globally to do that? So, essentially, it's a global learning community, and we also offer like permaculture design certificates, permaculture teacher certificates, and then there's this global learning community connecting people from refugee settlements to um, to you know southern American um, countries through to you know um, Europe everywhere people from all different backgrounds and perspectives are coming together to explore this that's one side of it and then I also offer anyone who's like younger who'd really like to do this I offer them scholarship places and there's a whole group of young people who are coming and doing this and so I said to them one day like how's it going? And they said, yeah, it's really great. I'm loving the content. But you know what I'd love? I would love to have a whole group of other young people to talk to. And that's where Perma Youth was born. And so this then became a point of practivism, which is the language that they used, which I've now brought back into all the learning that we do together. Like how can we be positive, practical permaculture activists? Like what is the way that we can all step up and, and bring about the kind of changes that we need? So they've had a whole range of different things. They run a radio show, they have a YouTube and a podcast, and they've held festivals, which are intergenerational conversations with elders of the movement, with bringing in young people and and really like teasing it out, what it means. So Perma Youth then started to myceliate into refugee settlements. There would be young people from the camps, because most of them are young, and they would say, oh, we really love this, but... I reckon the best way to spread this is by singing it, not by speaking about it. So then they started doing like all these kind of songs and theatre and so now after that then it it changed into becoming a permacultural movement, you know, like bringing out the culture of permaculture and we were able to collaborate with a group of funders over in the States. I'm a little bit young for this but they were um, the Grateful Dead. I don't know if you ever heard of that band, uh, the Grateful Dead, anyway, they were sort of in the 1960s counterculture movement. And they've got this foundation, and they funded the building of a mud brick, solar-powered, um, water collecting permaculture garden music studio for the young people in the refugee camp in the northern parts of Kenya. And so then this, so now they're creating music out of this, and there's half of it's a space for people to run permaculture classes. So what I do through the Ethos Foundation is generate funds to support people to run free permaculture classes for refugee youth and to help to sponsor people to make music and to write materials. And so last year we were able to support 1,500 people to get their permaculture design certificate courses led by local people in a locally adapted course and to start to set up, you know, school gardens to um, demonstration gardens, seeds, tools, all that kind of stuff. And so we've got mushroom houses popping up and, Um, you know like community-led piggeries for people who care for orphans and you know like there's just these things that just keep you know i use the word again myceliate in order to fund all of that uh, basically any money that comes into the ethos foundation i send 100 across so there's people who support it as a monthly thing they donate some but also i run things like free masterclasses so i've really tried to sort of democratize permaculture education i run free masterclasses um, I've got a YouTube channel and a and a blog and all these, uh, also film club and podcasts. And so whenever I run an event, like to, um, tonight, I'm actually running a, a masterclass called "Yarning About Permaculture" because someone asked, "Like, so what is permaculture? Like, how does that relate to Indigenous culture? Isn't it kind of against it?" And I said. I, I don't think so, but let's just have a really good conversation about that. That's a great question. So, I've invited in a whole group of friends who are um, part of the program who are also Indigenous, and they're going to have a yarning about permaculture. And so, the event that uh, is free, anyone can come, but I invite people to donate. And we've been able to raise $1,000 that this time is going to the Indigenous project, food project that one of the members is running. Usually, when I run those events, um, I've been giving the money directly to the refugee community. So the events that I run are ways to raise funds for those things, and people know that, so they just give money in. So, for example, on Wednesday, I'm hosting a, a free film club screening Vandana Shiva's movie about um, the seeds of Vandana Shiva, and it's the second time I've had to run it because the first time sold out, I got a licence because it's a new release documentary Uh I, got, I had a license to screen it. I think I had like 700 people the first time. I got 700 people tonight. And I think I'm going to have to do it a third time because it's sold out again. So, you know, from that, I've got about, I don't know, maybe a $1,000 again that I can send over to help support the local seed exchange network. So it's always connected to what we're doing, but related to making sure that everyone who's part of this can access that. But not only do they get the funds... For doing that, we also make sure that they get access to all the information and education materials that we create. So they all get free access into any of the online courses. But then, you know, some of them don't have access to devices. So we support them to get a device so they can access the materials and communicate. So now there's this um regional network throughout East Africa where people are doing online mentoring and sharing between the different camps. So one thing just kind of leads to another, which is why I kind of said it, it's an ecology of organization. there's the youth programs there's the there's the charity which is a way to sort of help to sponsor programs and free access to this and then there's the permaculture educators program where people come in and um come and learn together in this global learning community and so you know the people who are in wealthier countries um pay and that's what kind of fuels the whole system and then i donate most of my time to to all of this, it's sort of just a community service work because I believe that it's something that I can do that I can contribute and I feel like it has some value and, and I just respond. The other thing that I'm really excited about is something called the Ethos Fellowship. A lot of the young people who were coming and doing the permaculture course I started telling them about, you know, the work that Nora Bateson was doing with warm data or Fritjof Capra's systems thinking course. And so I've made arrangements with different people like that, like amazing thinkers and uh, leaders in the world, and they get access to do their course. And then Fritjof actually comes and meets with them and tutors them as well. So I hold this space as a weekly conversation for people between the ages of say 16 to 21 and it's kind of like a university without walls that they're directing and guiding so we've had so far we've had Fitchov Capra come in Manish Jain who talks about unlearning he's set up the Ecoversity networks throughout the world Yin Paradies will be joining us in a week or two Professor Yin Paradies Helena Norberg-Hodge has joined in. They'll be doing Nora Bateson's course. Luby McNamara talking about um, social permaculture. And so we just, we host this space where people can say, oh, you know, I'm actually really curious about this. Let's explore this. And then we go, well, who can we invite that can mentor us in this? And so this is generative space. So, again, that's kind of a free thing. And then as well, just hosting conversations through the podcast that I run as well, called Sense Making in a Changing World. I mean, I just absolutely love having these incredible conversations all the time. And there's something about the fact that we're all enabled into the Zoom world has somehow opened up new possibilities of conversation. Like, there's something missing, I know, in Zoom conversations that we don't have that face to face, but there's something else that has happened because it has somehow enabled so many other people who would not before have able to access or travel or move to be able to join in those conversations. And the perspectives that we're getting are so enlarged because they're in the room where they weren't in the room before. And so I'm finding it incredibly liberating the types of conversations that are happening and the types of relationships that are forming that can then be nourished by face-to-face engagement. But the Connections are somehow made in these spaces. So I'm really diving as deep into every single kind of corner of this world that I possibly can find and really um opening it up as much as I can too. It means I sit here in this chair a little bit too much longer than I'd like to, but that's beside the point. My garden is straight out here and I live in an eco religion. The Mukabula River, otherwise known as the Mary River, is just down the bottom. I've got walking along. I'm here in beautiful gubby gubby country and I do as much as I can to be in this place, be with my family and take care of it, but at the same time having this kind of global connectivity, whereas I feel like, like, I don't know, I think all of us feel at this point in time like there's got to be more that we can do. Like we all know that we need to step up and speak up and how is that possible? And one of the things that Nora Bateson said once was something like a shift in perception is action. And I had to kind of stop there and pause and think about that for well, a while because often we think it's about how we end up doing stuff differently. Like we focus on the doing where she's saying like the biggest thing that needs to happen is that we have a shift in perception of how we are here in the world, how we're relating to one another, how we how we make our decisions, what choices and decisions that we make on an everyday basis or in our work or whatever that may be. So how do you cultivate the context in which the shift in perception can actually happen that is the space where that's where I'm trying to bring the permaculture space into that, which it already is you know like a few people come to permaculture because they're in a shift in perception and that they want to find different ways of action. so I like to not just focus on okay well how do you do compost and how do you make a no big garden and how do you do that like that's really important but it's also making that connection into uh, the whole world of the ecological paradigm and connecting in with not just what it means as something you do on the side, but how, how does it embrace all the things and all the ways that you show up in all different aspects of your life?
0: Yeah, and that's exactly what permaculture is all about. It's not just the practical; it's the it's the philosophical components behind it, underpinning it. That was so amazing. I officially have a lady crush on you. <laughs> I yeah. Wholeheartedly, shamelessly, want to be you. Uh, it's it's awesome. It's awesome what you're doing, and I loved that you used the word myceliate as a verb. I can hear how there's these connections are branching out and spreading and interconnecting and crossing over and going in all sorts of different directions. And it sounds like there's a kind of a circular economy movement happening within the very space and all of these different aspects intersect and help each other and and at the heart of it there's a lot of people coming together in different ways and offering different things or learning different things for this joint love of the planet and this joint love of learning and this joint love of having perspective shifts which brings me to a question around motivation and before you know I don't want to just ask the very generic question of what motivated you but I want to hear what you think about our economic system and its problems. What globally in Australia, what do you see as problematic with how our economy is set up and why do we need to build a new economy?
1: I think the well, the motivation for the economic system and the questions that are asked in our economic system and the ultimate goals of the economic system are all heading in the wrong direction. I mean, it's not actually asking the question of how do we create this wealth for the well-being of people on the planet or all life? That needs to be the heart of all the decision-making. So how do we centre life in our decision-making processes, not centre growth? Natural growth is fine. Like my garden grows, but then it kind of composts as well. You know, like we need to create a different metaphor for our Our life, we need to put in different types of goals and targets. I think the thinking framework that underpins it all is entirely flawed in terms of any goals that we have towards having a sustainable life on this planet. So, all of the things that we can do around it will kind of just be edge work unless we get some kind of fundamental shift in how we relate economically. So, you know, the localization movement is incredibly amazing and it's why I put my energy into it, because I realised a really long time ago that I couldn't go head-to-head with, like, the big guys. It just was not going to work. I'd end up burning myself out or being marginalised or somehow, you know, made to look like, I had really no voice to be there. So what I decided to do would be to participate in helping to generate a whole lot of different kind of examples in as many different places and communities as possible to make visible this other way of being in the world. And this is where the myceliation comes in that I think is really important because if we think about where the power lies, and when I realised this, it was like a revolutionary thought because you know, when we think of the power being here, sorry, I've just realised that people are not going to see what I just did then. I was holding my hands as a pyramid. We get stuck in thinking, well, we don't have any agency. So when we have power in a, this kind of pyramid form, the people at the top of this pyramid being the power holders, we feel we don't have agency, whereas we flip that thinking and we take the mycelial network and realize that actually so much of the power lies in this mycelial network the living system of people in every community everywhere who are lifing in a different way and what we see is that every now and then you know where we apply compost like if you take the living system metaphor that's where you'll see these little mushrooms popping up every now and then and the mushrooms are showing you that there's this mycelial network going on underneath. You don't see it. It's the unseen world. It exists. It's powerful. It's what feeds the whole of the living system. Without it, life would not be as it is on this planet. What happens too when those mushrooms ripen, they send out billions of spores that land where there are fertile spaces for them to then become new activators of more myceliation and so when you take that thinking and apply it to how we are in our communities what we need to be doing is to be creating fertile spaces in our communities where when these ideas land that they are capable of flowering of flourishing and bringing a different kind of way of life so I've attempted throughout my life to try and not go at loggerheads and to spend my energy that just gets lost somehow and and into a type of energy that is generative, that creates the possibilities for this fertility and this thriving. And it's not like being blinkered. It's actually taking a direct and positive way forward that means that that is what I'm trying to do. That is entirely the purpose of it. So when you talk about power and shifting power really it comes back down to the permaculture fertile community neighborhoods building up relationships being able to have the conversations building the networks building the living system back and identifying a different way forward then when different ideas come up in different places of a new economy you know it's not going to look the same in your community as it is in mine but the fertile edges are ready to receive a different idea then that's important because the perception shift has happened enough to be prepared to receive a different idea. So I think we're still in this transition stage and it is this perception shift that we need to be really focusing on and making a warm and inviting space to enter into that people want to explore a different way of thinking that it's not a factional place. It's not, you're not quite ready yet to be part of this club. It's like, welcome, you know, (laughs) like avoiding as much dogma or any kind of thing as possible. Let's just see what we can do together.
0: I feel like you used a beautiful amount of wordplay and metaphorical language in there, tying in growth and nurturing and fertility of the earth into a very practical sense of the problems with our economy and what it could look like and space for all voices to be welcome and tailoring it to your own local area and that we're kind of at the beginning and the seeds are planted, but there's still a lot more fertilisation to happen before there's big shifts take place. Just quickly, if you were to envision what a new well-being economy would look like, any other thoughts on that?
1: Oh, gosh, it's such a challenging question, that because it looks different for every single person. It's kind of like the pluriverse, isn't it? <laughs> if I was to describe it from my perspective, um, and you describe it from your perspective, like all of us have a different way that that would make sense to us. And but I think at the core of it, it is around this deep love of life and this deep care for the well-being of others, the respect. And I, I suppose what I've focused on for most of my life so far has been around centering food, and I did that, I think largely because of my experience in Ladakh. The epiphany that I had holding a piece of bread that we'd ground, we ground it with the Indus River's water power and this stone mill and we'd sung to the yaks as they'd separated the grain from the chaff and the field itself was hand-tilled and fed with like compost from the compost toilet and the hand-collected manures. And like the whole thing was just this, different experience of food. So that kind of started me thinking about it and realizing that everyone eats, unless you're a breatharian, you have a relationship with food. And even if you are a breatharian, you have a relationship with not having food. So food is central. I mean, I know you can take any particular thing and say, well, we all have a relationship, but it's something that's so central. It's something that brings people together. It's something that, that we love and it brings up so much joy. So how can we focus on ways that bring us together and nurture and celebrate a more localised future, one that nourishes life and one that enables us to restore other parts of the planet while we're meeting our local needs. If we shift our food system, it also enables us to really think very intently about how we can be drawing down carbon from the atmosphere, how we can be protecting forests. It's kind of like a bit of a key that's how I see it anyway which is why I focus so much on it as being the platform because it enables us to do all of the things that we're wanting to do through this one lens and whether you come at it from a health perspective you can look at food if you're coming at it from a a child's nutrition perspective you can look at it from that if you're looking at it as being a chef you know like you want to have the best flavors and if you're coming at it from a community development perspective like how do you get people together you put on a meal or Reforestation. Well, we have to actually change our food system to be able to compress the area that we're using. We want to talk about river health. We need to think about the runoff and the erosion from the type of farming that we're using. We want to talk about the type of clothing that we have. We need to be thinking about the agricultural sector at least. If we focus on food and farming at the core of this conversation, it can help to unpack a whole lot of things in a way that is so relational and does connect people because I think one of the key things we need to focus on is people need to care about it people need to feel it like how does this relate to me? I'm, I'm just having a bit of a conversation with my nine-year-old at the moment. Where is it that people feel deeply about it and enough that that deep love and care shows? there's all different layers within that and I find that a focus on food can really unlock the possibilities for beautiful action to happen and connection to take place because it is at
0: the precipice of so many other things. The flow and effect of how we eat and what we eat is huge. What motivated you to connect with Nina and what's been your involvement with Nina so far?
1: Well, because it's big picture, because it's not just a one particular focus. It is looking at all the different dimensions and how they intersect. And it's a place where people who are really thinking about this and acting upon it are connecting. And I think that is, again, you know, like what I've been saying all along, it's where the places we can create spaces for conversation that help us to get out of our silo thinking into this network thinking. And I also like that it's, it's an emergent process. You know, people come into it and they bring their flavor into it and then it just keeps growing and evolving like that. I absolutely love the fact that Nina has this focus on connecting and myceliating its work. I think that's really amazing.
0: And when did you get involved and why and what have you done so far? What's been your collaboration efforts?
1: Speaking at different events, so things that um, have been organised by Nina to come along and participate and join in as as those and being part of the conversations. There's the programs that are run through the Eunice Centre with Michelle. At the Eunice Centre, so I'm part of the conversations there, Also part of Regenerative Songlines, which is connected into the whole flow of things too. Come down to the uh, Nina HQ a few times and talked about permaculture gardens there and walked the landscape. So really just being part of the conversation. And Michelle is a great friend and I really, you know, any chance to be in conversation in the events that she's organising, I'm always, always up for for that.
0: <laughs> oh, awesome. Sounds like you're all about Nina. I, I'm just wondering about how you would like to see Nina to develop or grow or myceliate further in the into the future in a kind of practical sense.
1: I think what Nina's doing already in terms of the amount of conversations that are being hosted is extraordinary. And I think that is really important. That kind of supports a lot of what I'm been saying the whole time I think you know just hosting conversations on different threads you know and there's different series of conversations that are happening all the time so keep making the space for those generative conversations to happen and to cross over between the different dimensions that Nina has so maybe you know just keeping an eye on keeping that that spreading and finding new audiences all the time to share that with Because, you know, sometimes you feel like, oh, the same people come along to the things and how, how to keep interfacing the network with other networks and keep it moving out. But, you know, I think what Nina's doing, being a conversation host is probably one of the most powerful things that it can be doing. So continuing to do that and finding new ways For hosting those conversations and sparking new ideas to put a spotlight on some of those mushrooms, you know, (laughs) like where where are those things that are happening? That you know, if they really get shone on and they and they mature, that they can can really spawn a whole lot of new ideas. So that the spotlighting and the opening of the conversation, and then bringing people together to to add the compost to those really great ideas that need more fertility. You know, I think those sorts of things are, are really really fabulous.
0: And if you were to flesh out for you in the permaculture world, which as you've highlighted really does intersect in so many different areas, and then bringing that into the perspective of you gaining a lot from joining these conversations and webinars with Nina, have you learnt from, or can you give us any examples of when lights have been shone on different mushrooms and how that has influenced your work? One
1: would be the conversations with the Indigenous leaders, I mean, holy moly, the perspectives that they have brought and the opening of my consciousness has been phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And so my learning from speaking with them and listening to them and hearing them in conversation with each other has totally transformed the way that I've been perceiving how I offer permaculture and this conversation that I'm hosting tonight is kind of a follow-on from that as well, about yarning about permaculture. And also to the opening up of the democratisation of learning, that these events, that are they're hosted free and they're run by volunteers and it's about creating space for this conversation to happen, not having to charge for them. So, you know, like I'm really taken a whole lot of that kind of concept on board and brought that into the permaculture world. And so the process as well as the content, I think, have influenced my thinking and my actions. And I really feel like there's like there's not an edge where my work ends and Nina starts like there's this beautiful weaving that happens and there's a fluid relationship will continue and grow and, and um, be nurtured.
0: Now I'm just going to jump into our final fast five questions. Who's one person that has been an immense source of personal and or professional inspiration for you and why?
1: One person?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I thought this would be a hard one. (laughs) Look,
1: you know, it's going to be one, but it's not, that's not the only one. So Nora Bateson recently has been the most phenomenal mind-expanding person who I have been um, collaborating with lately. And I think her influence on me in terms of thinking about this kind of idea of perception is action, all this sort of stuff around change-making and fighting and turning it into something that's about how we can be in the space of lifing and using the living systems metaphors has come through I think I've developed and evolved that through conversations with her so I totally want to point to Nora Bateson for that recent influence and inspiration
0: brilliant I'll be looking her up for sure If you could recommend one resource, and again, look, if you need to recommend a couple, I'm I'm here for it.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, I'm just in front of me on my desk, and I know people who are listening can't see it, but this has just come out. It's called The Earth Restorer's Guide to Permaculture by Rosemary Morrow. It's just been released by Meliadora Publications. It's been endorsed by the United Nations Decade of Ecosystems Restoration, which is phenomenal because first time ever the UN has gone through and supported a permaculture resource so rosemary morrow and i have been working for some time together about how to take permaculture thinking not to say that i really love the un you know SDGs, but to say that they exist and people understand them and how can we relate what we're talking about in that language so at least the conversation expands permaculture education institute was one of the sponsors to get this published and in the front it has a forward by Vandana Shiva. So that kind of is a nice circularity with that. So this is brand new Earth Restorer's Guide to Permaculture. I would highly recommend it.
0: Perfect, perfect. You're so excited. I barely finished the question and you jumped in. So that's, <laughs> that's great. How do you navigate this daily dilemma that we experience, where on the one hand, you understand how our economy, which is centered on infinite growth and a whole framework that is very problematic? You understand that you're really dedicating your whole life to, to shifting that in ways that you see tangible and that you're passionate about. But on the other hand, your survival in many ways really hinges on being part of this system and there are still, despite all the great work that you do, there's still so many areas where you really have to play into this system.
1: How do you navigate that? We're in transition and we need to focus on transitioning well. So there's aspects of my life where I have completely reduced any kind of dependence on outside fossil fuel energies. I'm surrounded by food here. My chickens are just here or my vegetable gardens here. I've got a part care of some cows over here that we milk every couple of weeks as a collective. I collect all my water. I've got solar panels up here. That I've de-industrialized as much as possible. In terms of my clothing, everything's secondhand, you know, so I just find a way to do that. I'm sitting at a secondhand desk. Everything, as much as possible, is that way. But I do make decisions when I need to do something that is beyond that to use the framework of permaculture to help me make those decisions, like what? how is this going to be as, you know, care for the earth, care for people and, and be as fair share as possible. So all of those kind of concepts come into that. Uh, and also to acknowledge that if I just run away to the hills and do nothing it might be okay but I really feel that my role in the world moment is to speak up and to share what I know and I feel that that is offering some kind of level of contribution you can't measure that like is the impact of me doing that going to be more than that but I think in terms of you know, hosting conversations and then all the things I've talked about shifting perception. I feel like the balance—it's okay—and as much as possible, I do the conversations in this sort of online digital space rather than traveling here and there and encouraging lots of travel. So it's a balance, and I think that what I what I encourage people to do is to be mindfully doing that work, like, but not to beat yourself up. There is absolutely No need for that because unless you speak up and speak out and demonstrate different ways of doing things, it does take energy to get to that point of sharing it, but we need you to be doing that work. Please don't stop doing that work because you're feeling bad that you're using some energy to do that. Like see that balance in the bigger picture. And if you have the heart to step up and speak up, then to really show up in all your authenticity, to acknowledge that you've actually had to use some stuff to get there, but really to show what's possible. Don't get caught in this sort of um, perfection. No one is perfect. No one can ever be perfect. We can. And what is perfect anyway? You know, we're all here trying our best to do this work. So go gentle on yourself to do the best that you can and to show up in the best possible way that you can imagine that you can and to just be that person. So that's kind of how I negotiate that. I love it. It's
0: a nice nuanced balance there with a whole lot of self-compassion in the process. If you could give one piece of advice to Australia's leading politicians, noting our change in government recently,
1: what would your advice be? Uh, shift the agricultural policies. To shift the agricultural subsidies from fossil fuel based agriculture to ecological based regenerative agriculture. And I think that simple shift would transform an enormous amount of things. When you
0: put it like that, it's so simple yet so tied up in politics, isn't it? Mm. If you all of a sudden had miraculous, infinite time and space and money and people and all the resources you could possibly dream up, what would you do to spend it right now, specifically on Nina?
1: You said these were going to be simple little off-the-cuff, no-thinking-required kind of simple questions. Oh, my gosh. Just solve (laughs) the world in one one sentence. Um, I would support the activation of community activators everywhere around the world so that, you know, around Australia at least <laughs> to start with, so that the work that you're doing, that Michelle's doing, that all the volunteers are doing to activate and support those people to take it to every community, every neighbourhood, to be hosting the kind of conversations. So say if a community came up with an idea, like to somehow resource and seed that and so that that could then carry on and, and seed something else. When it's limited by the resources available, it stays in a certain space. If you could kind of let that go and let that be free, not trying to sort of control it, but to unlock it. So there was an idea, yeah, great, go. Okay, let's go and do that. Okay, there's another idea. Yes, okay, let's go and do that. To unlock the possibilities that feel that maybe they're a bit stuck because the resources aren't there.
0: Supporting folks to be resourced up to keep spreading the word, I think is a wonderful thing and the heart of what Nina's about. And so if that was more resource than then, who knows? Like just imagine where it could go.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Just imagine, say, like a 15-year-old kid out here in Conondale said, I would love to activate a local community project here. Here's the people you need to talk to. Here's the conversations you can join in. Here's some resources to help them to get started. You know, it's activating the leaders. We need to support the leaders in our communities to do the kind of work that they need to and to connect them in with this global feeling of, for me, it's a global learning community. In Nina, it's sort of an Australian with international connections. It's this idea of that you're not acting alone, that you are part of this network of people who get you, who support you, who love what you do. And if we could also add some energetic or financial support or a traveling roadshow that would go around to different people and start to help inspire that and then keep those connected over time it needs resourcing of people you know i'm really tired of grant programs that only resource stuff we need to resource people and that's entirely what i do with the ethos foundation with the Youth networks over in east africa i resource the people who were leading those hubs to go out and to activate and support and troubleshoot with people and offer free education to whoever they need to because they're resourced to do it. And if they identify that they need some seeds over here or some tools there or someone's child is really sick, which means they can't do the work, then we support them, you know. So resourcing the people who step up and say, I really want to do something different and in my community and help bring about the change. Okay, you're that mushroom that we need to add compost onto. So here's the compost. You know, that's the kind of thing that I think works. It's a different approach. I've just joined recently a global um, network called Trust-Based Philanthropy and it's really looking at shifting where we place money and how we support programs based on that community trust and relationship building.
0: Yeah, Spreading the words, spreading the support, mentoring mm-hmm. up, empowering people to be the change makers and the flow and effects of that is Profound. Dramatic. It's profound. Yeah, yeah, it really is shifting. I love the idea of a road trip too. By the way, yeah, yeah that sounds good, doesn't <laughs> it? Doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Might flag that to Michelle. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so so mm-hmm. much, Morag. It's been wicked talking to you. I've really really loved listening to everything you've had to say. I definitely am going to listen back to this episode. I think because there's a lot that I can take from it a second time round with new ears where I can just enjoy and process a lot of this information. Super appreciate it. If people are interested in knowing more about your work,
1: the best place would be to go to the permacultureeducationinstitute.org and from there you can find out about the films, the masterclasses, the podcast, the YouTube, the youth programs, all of that. So permacultureeducationinstitute.org.
0: Wicked. All right. Well, thank you so much.
1: It's been a pleasure chatting with you, Anna. Thank you.
0: You're very welcome. Thank you too. And I hope to see you around the traps.